Hi, welcome to Visceral Reflections. Uh, this is Tom, and uh, that was the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, uh, Christmas Sarajevo from the Christmas Eve and Other Stories album. And, um, uh, and, and by the way, just because someone asked, um, all the music that, that I share with you is from I have just um, Apple Music, and um, so uh, I don't plan, have any plans to create a playlist. There's no rhyme or reason to the songs I pick, but I've just been in a, a TSO sort of frame this week, and I said, oh, I'm going to share that, that song. So, um, and then some, um, someone also asked about the piano music. Um, uh, John Story, oh, Great Is Thy Faithfulness, and... A mighty fortress is our God, amazing grace, uh, how great thou art. Some of the songs I've played is background music. And um, my favorite is actually, it's kind of funny, it's called Baby's First Hymns, and it's John's story. And for me, it's a very, I play it every morning. It just helps me get settled, start the day, get my heart in the right place to before the world awakens. And so... Just wanted to um, share that um, for anyone else who was curious. But um, anyhow, uh, it's been a while since we spoke. And um, our last episode was The Love of God on November 13th. And somehow a month has gone by. And um, if you uh, follow the podcast notes on the website then you know that I had been uh, wanting to do a part two. And that's what this is, Love of God and Daily Life, part two. And really what this is, is I wanted to uh, tie up some open items, some loose ends, and cover a few things that I left out. And so, you know, I had published some podcast notes a few weeks back, and uh, but I, I did want to speak into this a little bit more. And what I've decided to do, because there is really a boatload of material, is um, as soon as we're done with the current series on surrender as a fruit of abiding, uh, dive into the love of God more deeply, probably um, next summer, and do a full love of God series. And it should be more timely with some other projects that I'm working on. Um, I, I believe it'll it'll be perfect timing, I believe. So anyhow, um, I'm going to do that. But for today, what I want to do is circle back and uh, address some of the open items that we have and um, and then elaborate a little bit and then also talk a little bit about some things that I left out. So, um, you know, what you, like I said, you know, the, the love of God is, it's a concept that, well, it's more than a concept. It, it's a, it's really our life. It's a manifestation of the infinite into the finite. And it's for us to uh, embrace and to uh, grow up in. And it's ultimately what leads us to the surrendered life. And, um, so I wanted to uh, step back into that, you know, when um, when we talk about the love of God and how that plays out in reality, um, you know, we, we've talked about like Matthew 22, love God and love people is a fulfillment of the law. And um, 
one of the things that that I wanted to touch on and I did touch on in the notes is that when we get down this path, we talked about moving from responsibility to response. And that is when we, the life of surrender is when we set down um, our responsibilities, quote unquote, for everything that, that we are pursuing in the Christian life, we have a tendency uh, in the church <clears throat> to get commitment happy and volunteering for things and um, and we can become very busy for God and not um, busy with God. So um, I wanted to draw a little bit of a distinction on the difference between doing things for God and doing things with God. And I had mentioned uh, Mary and Martha in Luke uh, chapter 10. And <clears throat> one of the things that we, I think, we need to learn to do, and it's been a tremendous help for me, has been to invite God into every moment of your life. And there's two things that will happen. One is that you can recognize the presence of God and... Um, everything that you're doing every day and this is something to practice this is something that's easily forgettable because life can get busy but what it does is when scripture says pray continually this is one way we do that and I think sometimes <clears throat> we think well God doesn't want to be bothered with this or this is too small and I, I certainly have thought that way a lot um you know, but as you practice this more and you can recognize that if we are going to live out 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, then that means do all to the glory of God. And so, I mean, one practical example <clears throat> is, um, you know, I have a personal trainer and as we, we've been doing straight training as we try and push to the next level. A lot of times it's not it's not uncommon for me to say a quick prayer before hitting the getting under the weight or whatever, even doing the sign of the cross. And th that's produced two things. One is, Lord Jesus, please help me lift this. Help me not drop this on my head. Um, but two is um, it's actually opened up a, a faith conversation with my trainer. <clears throat> who grew up in the church. I didn't know that. But now we've, we've gotten to a place where his faith has um, become a lot more personal and reinvigorated. Uh, I think that's a fair way to say that. But more importantly, it's just a wonderful time of fellowship with God and, and sharing that experience. And it's been good because... You know, people, um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Um, that is true, but the point of that passage is that we have a content heart, that I can survive anything, that I can endure anything, that I can um, not be moved by the positives or negatives of life. In other words, I can um, have abundance and be content and not let those change who I am 
or I can be without and perhaps um, in great need and still be content and trust that God is with me and God is in control. <clears throat> so um, that is one thing in building our relation with God is that when we talk about response, we recognize the love of God. We recognize that the Lord has done great things, that he stepped into history. Um, and when we um, preach the gospel to ourselves, that's a daily reminder of those things. So um, I, I just want to draw attention to that because um, um, there's a lot of peer pressure in the church. And I've seen it and I've felt it. And I frankly, you, you sometimes you have to get to a place where you have to not care what people think. And I say that in the most loving way possible and not in an arrogant way, not none whatsoever, but care what God thinks first and, um, do, um, do the things God's calling you to do. And if you have a, um, a heart for something, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I don't know what's going on with my voice, but it has been missing for a few weeks. I thought it was back. So, um, frankly, I'm going to finish recording this and then listen to it and see if it's not too annoying to publish. Um, anyhow, <clears throat> the, um, the idea of moving to response has to do very much with living a gospel centered life and recognizing that every day so that, um, when we say like Philippians four, four rejoice always in the Lord. Well, what does that mean? That's this kind of, uh, something that you can hear from time to time. But when it says in the Lord, that means we rejoice in our salvation. We rejoice, rejoice in our forgiveness. Uh, we rejoice in our acceptance. We rejoy, rejoice in our adoption as a, into the family God as a child. And it's really, um, we are rejoicing about our union with Christ. And our union with Christ is... Really, um, uh, I think I mentioned this before. It's really spelled out for us in Galatians uh, 2.20. It's no longer I who live, uh, but Christ who lives in me. And um, uh, the life for which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Now, verse 21 is often left out, but I think it's important. And I'm going to share that with you in what that simply says, do not, I do not nullify the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And I think that's something that we need to look at in Galatians 2, 20, 21 in our union with Christ and not nullifying the grace of God. So when you talk about moving from responsibility to response, we are talking about setting aside the law or the things that we do to, we think, build godliness or look godly. I'm going to talk about that in a second. Um, because we don't want to neglect that Christ died needlessly. So everything that we do, when we, whatever it is, whatever it is, when you're serving God and you're volunteering at church, when you're volunteering to teach, when you're volunteering to, to do lead discipleship, when you're going to go serve the homeless, 
at a mission, when you're going to do um, what, any, whatever ministry you're doing, you do it as a response to the gospel. You do it as a response to the love of God. And we don't nullify the grace of God by trying to build up brownie points and keep a spiritual scorecard. So that's important because Matthew 7, 21 to 23, in my opinion, the scariest verses in the Bible, where the Lord says, I depart me from me, I never knew you. And when you look at those verses, you can see that people who were standing before the Lord said, but when, um, but Lord, I've done all these things and they give their spiritual resume. But Lord, didn't I attend Sunday school every week? And Lord, didn't I faithfully go to vacation Bible school? And Lord, didn't I make it to summer camp every year? And Lord, didn't I lead a small group? I volunteered as a small group leader for 20 years. Depart from me, I never knew you. That's the difference. It's her work in our response to the gospel that drives us into ministry. It drives us into serving God and loving people and loving God by loving people. That is what we're trying to get. And when we have bad motives... You know, the end of Psalm 139, 23 and 24, it's a, it's a great prayer to pray. Lord, weigh my motives. See if there be any hurtful way in me. Help me see where there's impurities in what I'm doing because I want to honor you in all that I do. So that is something that, that we need to keep in mind. And, and uh, one other thing, and I think this is significant, and it, go, it dovetails here. I don't know the percentage, but well over 99% of everybody who will have eternal life in the kingdom of God is insignificant. Most people, they haven't been ministry leaders. They haven't written a book. They haven't planted a church. They haven't been missionaries. They haven't done the things that we look up to in our humanity and... Sometimes we look up with admiration and our great courage. Sometimes we look up um, to idolize, which we shouldn't be doing. But we got to understand the, 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 the city of God is going to be populated with the insignificant, the unworthy, the mocked, the rejected, everybody that the world did not seem worthy, that we weren't the cool kids. And frankly, that's a badge of honor for us as believers. And uh, um, we need to, to embrace that. Because everything that we do, everything in this life is for the glory of God. And when we consider the realness of Galatians 2.20... In Galatians 2.25, to not nullify the, the grace of God, that is a significant step towards uh, eternity. Now, 
let me let me qualify that because salvation belongs to the to our lord and the lord is judging the lord is the one who knows our hearts the lord is the one who knows our circumstances the lord is the one that knows the appointed time of our birth and our death and there are things that we're not going to understand about that so we serve ourselves we do well to just love people we can recognize if someone is perhaps on the wrong path uh, we can recognize that um, perhaps somebody who is saved is struggling um, uh, perhaps they're having uh, doubts about what they believe, what, what we believe. Um, all of those things, they certainly happen. But that's not for us to judge. And um, I can't think of the verse. I should know this verse because I just wrote it out. Um, I'll, I'll find it. Um, but we got to recognize in... Uh, the Lord is gracious and merciful and much more merciful and gracious than people are. And so um, we need to um, to step into that daily recognition of the gospel for the shaping of our hearts, for the disposition of our soul in every day, and then we can get down this road. Now, one thing that dovetails with uh, Galatians 2.20 is John 3.30, and that he must increase and I must decrease. And that's important because we talk about the, the life of surrender. That's a, something that we are trying to, uh, to understand more fully, and it is the love of God that moves us into that surrendered life. And so when we... Um, when we get down this road, um, we start to, to recognize, um, changes in our disposition, changes in our likes and dislikes. We are uh, recognizing changes in, um, priorities, changes in the things that matter, changes in how, where we want to put our time and our resources and all of those things. And in some ways, I think a, mo a lot of people naturally do this. Uh, I think um, as we grow, uh, we grow into being better givers. And, um, you know, you probably notice um, as a child, you probably had a really long um, wish list for Santa uh, as a child. And then as you got older, that list is getting smaller. Um, and then uh, eventually you get to a place where you're like, oh, I don't really need anything, but you don't want to deprive your loved ones of giving. So you, you have to give it some thought and figure out, okay, what can they give me that would be of value for me and for them? Um, so anyhow, um, it came to me, uh, Jude, um, Jude 22, Jude one twenty two. have mercy on some who are doubting. And that's important. Um, and we're going to, when I get into epistemology next week, we are going to talk about faith and doubt 
because I think that's something that um, needs to be understood more clearly. Um, and it's it's a significant part of our sidebar discussion on identity that we are having right now. So, um, but um, anyhow, one part of the conversation last week, uh, I'm sorry, last month, was uh, in the love of God, is um, we didn't talk about um, manifestations of the love of God. And that's something that I wanted to touch on right quick. Um, You know, when we first started this podcast, uh, that we talked about um, affections as a disposition of the soul. And so I want to talk about affection and joy because I left that out of the last one. And I think it's important that we can get back to it um, because um, it's central to understanding the love of God. So um, uh, the Greek word for affection is storge, uh, S-T-O-R-G-E, storge. And um, there's something to understand about affections because it, it, it folds into every type of love that's out there. Now, you know, we all understand sacrificial love um, is agape. Yeah, and maybe we don't all understand that. Um, I don't know who's listening, but um, agape is um, understood as the love of God, the sacrificial love of God. And uh, But there's other ways love is manifest. Um, uh, brotherly love or phileo, um, erotic love or in- intimacy with uh, is eros. Um, but... I wanted to just touch on affection uh, right quick because one of the things we need to understand is that storge, affection in any context, always sees the recipient of the love as as a person having intrinsic value, um, not having instrumental value. And so um, inherent in their worth is they're worthy to, uh, because of who they are to God, and because they're made in his image, because Jesus died for their sins, that they have intrinsic value. And so any love that does not um, show affection uh, for the other person that way, um, I would say is selfish. It's a selfish love. I, I don't even, I don't think love is part of the description. It's just selfishness. Um, but I wanted to mention that because storge, affection, is a disposition of the soul. So when you have a disposition of the soul that is centered on the goodness of another person, uh, whether it's your, your uh, say your mom or dad that you love, or your girlfriend or wife that you, know, you would just do anything for, or your child or maybe it's your best friend you grew up with, whatever, whoever that person is that has your affections, then you would need to understand uh, storge is is spiritual in disposition and it's manifest physically. So, um, 
it's always um, driven by joy. And um, I'm going to draw a distinction here in a minute, the difference between joy and happiness. But we need to understand that um, it's part of who we are because it's the way that God has revealed himself to us is a way that we um, return our, our love for God and our love for people. So when you have, uh, say, agape and sacrificial love, a lot of times you're investing your life. Uh, you might be investing um, your life and your resources, uh, whatever it might be, um, in um, uh, brotherly love. It's the same thing. It could be manifest as prayer. It could be manifest as in physical labor, uh, financial manifestation. It could be all of these things. But um, we need to understand this: that those affections can be manifest spiritually and physically. And they're much different than, say, you're just doing a favor for somebody um, where you do things out of obligation but you're actually doing things out of a genuine affection to add value to that other person's life and whatever the circumstance happens to be. So, um, uh, and then there's um, eros, which is uh, intimacy or sex, and that's in um, something that is a deeper communion shared between a husband and a wife in the in the under a covenant marriage with God and that's different because it's the only context in which you have uh, sexual relations with another person and it's actually treating them with intrinsic value and not instrumental value anything outside of marriage is instrumental value which means it's self-centered it's self-serving and it's selfish, and it's not ordained by God, and it's condemned by God. And so that's something that we need to be aware of as well. And it doesn't have to just be that. Um, so it could be very much, um, you know, a um, goodnight kiss. It could be um, holding hands. It could be, hey, hun, here's a glass of wine. Why don't, why don't you uh, tell me about your day and while well, I rub your feet or, you know, whatever it is. Um, it could be anything like that, but it's something in that communion where God is invited into that covenant marriage. So um, then there's other manifestations in this. For example, um, when a woman has a baby, um, I think that's an incredible act of love shown to her husband. Um, you know, uh, when a husband gives his, his life for his wife, um, as Ephesians 5 describes, uh, that you emulate that or you pray for your wife or you honor her uh, so that God says in First Peter 3 that um, he will honor us and hear our prayers as we honor his daughters or our wives. So um, those are all different manifestations of storge that fold into the different types of love that we have. And I want to draw that out because all of them are fueled by joy. And I think we need to understand the difference between joy and happiness. So, I mean, joy is to happiness what kindness is to be nice. 
And um, so the difference is joy is the disposition of the soul. Like I said earlier, that we rejoice and um, um, when we rejoice, we are rejoicing in all of those eternal realities or spiritual realities. Uh, so when Colossians 3.2 says, set your minds on things above, and when we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, then we are actually uh, embracing those spiritual realities. We're putting forth um, first the kingdom of God, Matthew 6.33. We're setting our mind on things above, Colossians 3.2. We are transforming our thinking, Romans 12.2. And we are doing all of this uh, in parallel as we grow up in the Lord in our union with Christ, Galatians 2.20. So... Um, When we talk about happiness, happiness is circumstantial, it's happenstance, it's temporary, and it's not something um, that we get heavily invested in, though it can be good, because when we get heavily invested in it, uh, and there's a lot of reasons, the Lord has given us emotions as uh, an existential manifestation of the condition of our hearts. And I think that's important to understand because uh, our emotions can drag us around like the wind. And so we have to recognize our emotions are our barometers of where we're at in our soul. And then we can we can move forward and respond accordingly. So the Lord has given us happiness. He's given us sadness. He's given us anger. He's given us indifference. He's given us every emotion that we manifest as a way of understanding where we're at, where our hearts are at, where our soul is at. And I think that that's important for us to understand because when our focus is happiness and not joy, we are going to find ourselves in constant disappointment. And, you know, when... Um, um, so when, when we're invested in... in um, happiness in this way um, is the reason we get disillusioned, you know, uh, not to harp on marriage again, but there's a reason, the reason that the revenue of the divorce industry is slightly higher in the billions than the revenue of the wedding industry is this very reason because people invest in, in weddings and not marriages. And that's because they're focused on happiness and happiness ever after and have bought into the hallmark philosophy of greening card sentimentality. And that's all good stuff. It's fun stuff, you know, and, and being in love is, is a fun thing. And, you know, um, but it has to go deeper. There has to be a spiritual platform by which all of these things take root in the Lord and the joy of the Lord becomes your strength and that we grow deep spiritually and not just, um, not just uh, whatever the temporary situation is. Because I got to tell you, it's exhausting trying to live a happy life. You can't do it. Um, it eventually, your kingdom's gonna gonna um, crumble, and um, you know, and that's something we need to guard against, especially here in America, where you know we believe in rugged individualism. And, you know, I believe in rugged individualism. I believe in capitalism. I believe that it's the only economic system that's Christian-based. 
but it could, it's only successful um, when you're accountable to God. And so when you're not accountable to God and your goal is to build bigger barns, um, that's a problem because one day it's like the Lord says, okay, your, your soul is required of you. Who, what are you going to do with that fortune? You're, you're, you're leaving your barns behind. And now, foolish man, you have um, not tended to your soul because money was your God. And you are going to now go into eternity with this um, identity that has crumbled, the identity being in your wealth. So, um, I know I just went off in five different directions on that. But I want to I want to draw attention to that because, um, you know... Um, our founding fathers said, I forgot which one, I had coined the phrase life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, that original phrase from John Locke um, in the two treaties of government was life, liberty, and the pursuit of property, and that a free society allows individual property ownership. And so that's an important thing for us in America, but um, for uh, a complexity that is not appropriate for this conversation, um, the words were changed to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So, but it should really be um, life, liberty, and the context of joy in the pursuit of the love of God. If I had to rewrite it, I think that's what I would go with. Because the Lord is our life. It's only through the Lord that we have freedom and that we are free from the law. And I, I mentioned Galatians 2.21, later in Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom that Christ set us free. And in uh, uh, John chapter 8, I think verse 31 to 32, we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. And that Jesus is the truth, John 14.6. And that we worship in spirit and truth, uh, John 4.23, So there, these are things that are intimately connected. And I believe that it all starts um, very much with moving from responsibility to response to cultivating an attitude of gratitude and thanksgiving and recognizing, slowing down to recognize the things that God has already done for us so that we can do this. Now, one of the other things I wanted to mention about joy is joy is an important word. Um, as you know, when um, I did an etymological study on the word joy, and one of the things I found out was that everything, all research in academia and Western civilization um, has it wrong. Uh, there's no other way to say it. So if you were to do this type of study, you would find that our um, education institutions are teaching that joy has originated from the Latin and means happiness. Uh, but they're wrong. Uh, they couldn't be more wrong. Uh, it's actually a Hebrew word, and it's much older than Western uh, civilization. Um, but the, the Hebrew word is, um, let me see if I can say this, Karo. It's actually Karo. So I don't know how to say that. It would sound like I'm gagging on something. But it's the Hebrew word, um, or it comes from the Hebrew. And um, when translating the Greek, it's a root word for many things, joy thanksgiving, forgiveness, um, the, the phrases of showing favor. Um, it's also used to define ungratefulness with, with the right uh, prefix. Um, 
But I was fascinated that joy um, is a root word of forgiveness. And so that's good news because who isn't joyful about being forgiven? Have you ever had to face something and you're worried about it and you're forgiven? Oh my gosh, that is such a wonderful feeling. Um, but it's all the same thing. It's all the same root word. So Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord. Nehemiah 8, 10, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Um, uh, Galatians 5, 22, uh, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or forbearance. I believe it's forbearance is better. Self-control and so on. Um, those, all those words go together and, um, but they're all, they all transcend, joy transcends happiness because it's spiritual and it's, um, it's not circumstantial. And so we can see that in the love of God through forgiveness And so when the Lord Jesus is on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He's talking about the people who are murdering him. But I believe he's also talking about us. Because in our foolishness, our hearts have been darkened. We love darkness rather than light. We sin. But... You know, John 3, I think 19, that we love the darkness more than the light. But God has pursued us. And God, in his relentless love, is always pursuing us. And that's why I love Luke 15, 20 so much. Because the father sees the son returning, runs out to meet him. And it's just... My son has returned and let's have a party. Let's, you know, kill the fatted calf, put a robe on him, put a crown on him and let's celebrate. And that's God. That's the love of God. In this word joy, in the New Testament, it's it's used 59 times to talk about um what we have, um, what we can step into, what we have in the disposition of our soul through the gospel, the good news of the gospel, the power of the gospel. And um, and that's something that we need to to be mindful of. And um, uh, I just wanted to touch back on Emotions, because um, how can you be joyful in the midst of pain, in the midst of loss, in the midst of things you don't understand? I had shared last time that we're, when we're hurting, we need time to heal. 
And sometimes it's only the distance of time till we understand. And I can think of a few situations where it took me years to understand. Um, we need time to reflect. But, you know, in First uh, Peter 4, um, uh, he talks about how suffering brings joy to believers because we're united to Christ in our suffering. And um, Paul writes about this, too, in Philippians 3, that in our suffering, we enter into the fellowship of his suffering and the power of his resurrection. And there's a mystery to that. And I can be honest, I don't understand it. But I do know, I can, I can testify to this, that when we do... And be careful here. When we do start to put our sufferings in perspective, we begin to see God's love in a more palpable way. And I, I don't know a, a better way to say that and sometimes some things can seem unreasonable. How is God in control? We are naturally, um, we can become naturally bitter. We can look at our circumstances and wonder, um, how God loves us. However, um, we can get to a place where like Job, when he fell down in Job chapter one and worshiped God and said, I brought nothing in this world and I'll take nothing out of it. Those words ring hollow when you're in the middle of it. But it's good to, to to know those words now because we all want to get to Job 42 where you have your, your come to Jesus moment and your face-to-face moment and the Lord says, or you say, I've, I've heard of you, but now I've seen you. And I repent in dust and ashes. And in that, Um, I had written about the gift of compunction and our self-awareness and our sin awareness. And this is all of us moving towards this place of John 3.30, of more decreasing. But ultimately, the Lord will shine a light on these things and help us to understand a little bit better as we get through. And one day our story is going to be a great blessing to somebody else and we're going to be able to step into that and there's going to be joy that I can't explain I've experienced it but frankly 10-15 years ago I couldn't have described it to you Uh, only now in the distance of time could I 
but I, I just wanted to to shine a light on that because um along with the gift of compunction um is also a way where we can actually be honest with ourselves because I know that we all tend to beat ourselves up when we stumble and fall and when we sin and we fall short in the area of whatever part of our life we've been working on and and we can be our worst critics but and I, I believe the enemy I believe the devil wants us to hold on to those because it's part of what I termed uh, performance-based Christianity. Um, you know, it's funny. It's, I, this is just a little sidebar. You know, I've been saying that term for like 20 years, and now I hear it everywhere. So I'm just going on the record of taking credit for, for it until someone shows me that it was written in a book or something long before I said it. But... Um, it's something that I struggled with early in my faith and um, and have had to some different things of stepping away from from church for that reason. So anyways, um, I did mention that term in the notes and I just wanted to draw that out here. Um, but as um, we get down this path, We just um, continue to grow more and more into um, the love of God to get more deeply rooted, um, to identify barriers to faith, to identify areas where either it's self-reliance or self-pity or anything that is blocking God's way to us, as Brandon Manning said in the video. And we develop a genuine hunger and thirst for the Lord. Um, when our blind spots are opened up, then we can actually begin to um, take greater steps um, into understanding the love of God in a, in a much better way. So um, I had mentioned gratitude and mentioned the gospel. Um, the last thing I want to talk about here is giving. And, you know, we know in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, I believe, um, God loves a cheerful giver. And that we don't give from compulsion, but we take every opportunity to give and we evaluate it and we test it and we... Um, uh, we have to use discernment on, on what part of giving we step into. So, um, I wanted to, um, point that out because giving, um, is very much a part of, of what we're growing into as part of, um, being made in Christ. So, or being formed in Christ, I should say. So I mentioned John 17. And you know, John 17 is, is, is thought of as uh, Jesus' high priestly prayer. So we know that from the book of Hebrews that Jesus has assumed the Melchizedek priesthood. 
So Jesus is taking on the role of king and priest. And um, in the prayer, he identifies that um, the Father has given him authority and has given him us. So all believers are gifts from the Father to the Son. So you're a gift. I'm a gift. I never really thought of myself as a gift, but there it is in black and white, John 17. And then he says in John 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And um, I like to draw that out when we do discipleship, because if you don't like spending time with God, uh, you're not going to like heaven too much, um, because that the communion would be magnified in an infinite way that we can't imagine here. And the communion of, or the lack of communion of of not being in God's kingdom will also be magnified in an infinite way. And, uh, you know, that's a scary thought, but it's something that we need to consider. And, um, but uh, giving is an attribute of God that doesn't get talked about a lot, but I think it's, it's important to know as we are being formed in Christ, that we naturally become givers. It's characteristic of the character of Christ. And so that's why I said sometimes we need to, like Philippians 4, 9 says, practice these things, that we need to practice giving until we can get to a place of um, uh, where it's second nature. In you know, and your instinct becomes, you know, oh, how can I help? Um, I think that's what we want to grow towards. Um, I remember um, a few years back, uh, I was having a conversation with my lady friend about the the book, The Five Love Languages, and um, I don't remember what I did, but it, it prompted the question, um, why do you always give me gifts um, because that's not your love language and uh, that got me thinking so I'm not going to get into that here because um, you know I, I kind of changed my opinion on that book and not taking a more critical look at it um, but uh, more importantly is that she identified work that God was doing in me that I was unaware of and it wasn't until some silence and solitude and some um, really looking, taking a deeper look at the theology of the attributes of God and looking at the life of Jesus and understanding where we are called, like Matthew 10, 45, or I'm sorry, Mark 10, 45, that the Son of Man did not come to uh, be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Or that Jesus in John 13 um, washes the disciples' feet. And uh, what's fascinating about that passage is that he even washed the feet of Judas, 
um, the son of perdition, um, as the Hebrew, um, John wrote that in, that term, um, and he used it in a, um, a Hebrew statement to identify that, that this was a, a son of perdition, a son of destruction, and, um, for the scriptures to be fulfilled. You know, and Jesus even said, I chose you, you didn't choose me, and I chose you, even though one of you was a devil, speaking of Judas. Um, but still in John 13, Jesus wash, washes Judas' feet. And um, so as you go through John 17, um, he goes through some gospel fundamentals. Um, verse 8, talking to the Father, um, the words which you have given me, I have given them, and they received them. They understood them truly, and they believed that you sent me. Um that's important because every every believer who's genuine um, believes at one time in their life that they've received them, they've understood them, and they have believed that you sent me. Now, let me explain why I qualify that. Uh, I, as I mentioned earlier, um, next week I'm going to um, finally get to the... Uh, episode on epistemology and cover faith and doubt. And I want to cover that because um, I think every believer has um, moments of doubt. And I know that I have. I've walked away from the church uh, more than once in my life. and But through all of it, I know that the Lord had me, the Lord was with me, and I can reflect now on the things that happened and understand um, that the Lord was still uh, guiding my steps. And I was insensitive to it and maybe didn't understand. Uh, but I want to share that because I do believe strongly, and I think every Christian needs to believe strongly in his eternal security. Eternal security is the um, given to us in Scripture, like John 10 and Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. And um, in so many other places. So we eternal security is there for the believers. Um, but also, um, we're also on a faith journey. So we're trying to grow up in the faith. So when we have our mustard seed faith, um, the Lord has sealed us and secured us. Ephesians 1 says that. And it's a promise of our inheritance. And... Um, you know, and, and when the, the Romans were, um, you know, this question came up and, and Paul says, um, no, you are saved, but grace does not give you a license that sin may increase. Um, so it's not a license to sin, but sin is covered. And, um, you know, in the... Uh, there's a bigger conversation here on what are the limits of grace I'm, I'm having with a friend of mine right now. Um, how far does grace reach? Uh, I think it reaches pretty far. And I believe John 10 when it says no one can snatch you out of my hand. Um, so that's what I'm going with. And I'll explain that more when we talk about epistemology and knowledge and faith and doubt. Because I think that's important to know. 
I think uh, sometimes in our humanity, we're quick to judge and we don't know the whole story. That's why I love, we talked about the book, The Ragmuffin Gospel. I played you the clip from the movie Ragmuffin. And there's things that we don't know. Um, What's going on in a person's heart and um, what the the Lord is doing. So, you know, um, I think 2 Samuel 16, that people look at the outward appearance, but God judges the heart. So that's good news. We don't have the burden. We don't have to carry the burden of judging. And um, if you think you do, maybe put it down. That would be a good thing to do. So, um, you know, but but back to John 17. Um, it's such a rich passage as, the, as Jesus is praying to the Father. And, um, you know, I don't want to do a full exposition on this right here. But um, one thing I would just uh, share right quickly uh, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, that's me and you, be with me where I am in his kingdom so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. Now, also remember here, Romans 8, um, like uh, 28, 29, 30, 31, those are important verses for us. But in those verses, he says, um, Those he has called, um, he justified, and those he justified, he glorified. So Jesus here is saying in John 17, 24, that they may see my glory, which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and uh, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made known to them, verse 26, and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. And that's the promise. That's the promise of the love of God. That the love of God is in us by faith when we became believers. We have, that has been imputed onto us as a free gift, and it's something that when we are born again, when we are regenerate, when we have a new nature, that is characterized by the love of God, John 17, 26. And that's Jesus' prayer, that he would be um, in us, the love that the Father and the Son share, that eternal infinite love that's been transcendent into our world by the power of the Holy Spirit is in us. It's in me and it's in you. And so the way that we can grow that, the way that we can manifest that in our lives is to do the things that I have talked to you about. Recognize that we need to move from responsibility to response. Maybe stop feeling guilty for not doing stuff. Maybe stop caring what what certain people think that maybe have you under their thumb of uh, that you're given out of compulsion. Um, Spend extended time with God in in prayer and meditation and journaling and write down the things that the Lord is telling you to do. So, um, you know, I had written an article. I... 
think it's called Grace in the Wilderness, where I had talked about this process for me. And I talked about journaling. And I remember at one time, I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this extended time with God. And I had done it in my college years, and it was wonderful. And I don't, the, the busyness of life took me away from it, and I started to build my own kingdom. But I've got back to it, and I'm back to it now, and I love it. Oh, my gosh. It's the best part of my day, every morning. And I don't say that in a boastful way. I, I just, I'm just so thankful that every morning I look forward to it, and the Lord shows up, and he speaks to my heart. And I pray, and I, I lift up the people I love. I lift up the people that he's put on my mind. Um, and I pray for new people to come into my life that, that where he could use me. And, again, I just share that as just as a model that you could hopefully step into. It's not, I'm not boasting. I'm really not, but only God knows my heart. But I remember in the, I think it's the Grace in the Wilderness article where I wanted to make the time productive because that's who I am. I'm productivity oriented. And sometimes that's a hindrance when you're trying to grow up spiritually. And, you know, uh, like my friend and mentor, Alan Fadling says in, in his books, Growing up takes time. And I, I've, <laughs> I continue to learn that. But I remember in journaling, and I would, you know, read my Bible, I'd pray, I'd open my journal, I'd write the date in the top corner, or I'd open my day runner and pull up my notes. And it's like, okay, Lord, let the epiphanies flow. And nothing came. And I, I had two or three weeks of blank pages, so just the date. And during that time, and it took me a while to figure this out, is that I wasn't present with God. I was treating it like an assignment. I was looking for the epiphany. I was looking for some spiritual magic formula. And the Lord was calling me to have a content heart and to rest in his presence and, um, you know, we talked about Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn to me. I'm meek and lowly and you will find rest for your souls. That's what I wanted. That's what I needed. And I was in a point in my life where I was burnt out and exhausted. And I just, but I would go there and it's like, all right, Lord, let's do this. What do you got for me? Give me something to execute. And um, the Lord was calling me to live in the Psalm 4610, and I, I didn't know how to do that. I still struggle with it. Um, every morning I pray, Lord, uh, please don't, please protect this time. Don't let my office call or a client or anyone who needs me. Just sh uh, shield this time for me. Um, and the Lord honors that. I would, I don't know, all the time. Um, the times he hasn't are the times that, um, I think when maybe I have, um, given into it, but, uh, at any rate, um, I just share that because, um, the practice of these spiritual disciplines and is ultimately what causes this love of God in us to be deeply rooted. John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and you abide in my word, then you will bear fruit and that fruit will glorify the Father.
Well, that fruit, as I already mentioned in Galatians 5, love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, gentleness, or forbearing, forbearance, meekness, self-control. All of those things manifest from love. That's why love is listed first. And we have the love of God manifest in us. It manifests in kindness. Being kind to strangers. Uh, I mentioned earlier the difference that I said kindness, or I said joy is to happiness what kindness is to niceness. Being nice is a very human thing. You can fake it. It'd be like, hey, I, I want these people to invite us back. Be nice. Or, um, hey, we have to work with this company. They're a partner, so be nice. And it can be very fake. You can't fake kindness. Because people know when they're being tolerated. And people know when you're not genuine. And I, I it's just something that I recognize. Um... And I know a lot of people recognize it when you know someone doesn't want to spend time with you when you make them feel like a burden. And you're there to help, but frankly, because of your attitude and you're just being nice and you're not being kind, um, you make them feel worse. They would rather go hungry. They'd rather be homeless. They would rather um, not have money and they'd rather get kicked out of their home or have their car repossessed or whatever it is then have to deal with your attitude your condescension of being nice so please keep that in mind the love of God fuels kindness it fuels joy make sure your joy is rooted in things of eternal value like I mentioned our salvation our adoption our forgiveness and our acceptance, our union with Christ, our privileged position to be in the world but not of it. And, and in that, too, let's remember that when we're crucified with Christ and no longer I who lives but Christ who lives in me, that surrendered life is not just the good things, quote-unquote, the good things, but it's the bad things, too. Because maybe maybe we fall, okay, um, in, in, a, in my surrendered life, I've given up all these things for the Lord, and, you know, we're kind of self-aggrandizing. But also crucified, our shame... Our scars, our pain. In the story of our redemption, everything that hurts us, everything that every pain that we nurture and we grow up and we hang on to has been crucified with Christ. So when we've been crucified with Christ in our union with Christ, we we can begin to look at our story different. And we can begin to see how God is using our pain, 
for our good and his glory. Because without the pain, it's going to be hard to help people who are in pain. And we live in a a hurting world. And we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And we are ambassadors to Christ, 2 Corinthians 5. We are sent out to make an appeal to people as if God were appealing through us. It's a privileged position that we've been given. But it's impossible to step into that without the love of God being nurtured and grown and rooted. And that's why I talked about cultivating gratitude, cultivating practice giving, guarding your heart, preaching the gospel to yourself. Getting down that road takes practice. And you're going to have to look at your life and decide what you are going to give up. Maybe you don't have time to do this. Maybe uh, maybe you need to just uh, unsubscribe from Netflix to a, for a year. Or get off Facebook for a year. I got off Facebook temporarily. Um, how long has it been? I don't know. Eight, nine, ten years ago? I don't even know. Uh, they still email me and say, hey, you coming back? But... I got used to not needing it. And um, so look at your time. Create margin in your life for God. Make God a priority. I talked about rightly ordered loves. And I, I what comes to mind in the moment is that Brandon Manning in that video, I long to hear your voice. I long for you to spend time with me. If you're a parent and you have children, what is that like when your parents don't, or when your children ignore you or don't talk to you? I'm not a parent, but I've heard parents say this a lot. And they would give anything to have time with their their children. You know, I... um, Yeah, I wished I'd given my dad more time. In his final years, I was too busy. There's a lot of things. It's it's complicated, but the point is, is that I made my choices. You'll make yours. Well, like I said, um, we're gonna. Do more in the love of God. I wanted to tie up some loose ends uh, from the last episode. And uh, because I did go into that uh, saying, all right, Lord, uh, here's a boatload of stuff we need to talk about. And let's see what happens. Um, So. um, So I'm going to wrap this here because I didn't think we were going to go this long, but I encourage you. If you get an opportunity, go to the website, look at some of the articles that I posted on Grace in the Wilderness and the the book review, The Critical Journey. Um, If you read The Critical Journey, you'll notice that 
the rant that I did at the beginning of, that, of those notes. So it reads very much like the critical journey because that's sometimes when God moves my heart, um, things like that get written. So I, I left it in there because I felt it was organic. Another great article, She Will Be Called Grace and Glory. And um, that that article has a lot of valuable lessons um, that... Uh, things that I learned, things that I felt I could share that would be helpful. My book, Remembrance, I read part of that to you. Um, and Growing in the Forbearance of God. Um, and Growing in the Forbearance of God is what I was referring to in John seventeen twenty six, That we want to have a forbearing spirit, a loving spirit, a giving spirit, a spirit of charity, a spirit that seeks the good of the other, above yourself in every situation and growing up in the love of God is all about being other focused and not being me focused and so when we dovetail that with um, passages like uh, Colossians uh, 3.2 or Matthew 6.33 we also want to be other focused in thinking about the world and that this world is not our home and that one day we're going to be in the kingdom we're going to be at the throne of God in uh, Revelation 22 that uh, God is going to dwell with us in the new heaven and the new earth and he'll be our God and we'll be his people in the kingdom of God and the throne of God will be among people and that's hard to imagine but um, I'm looking forward to it so um, it's exciting anyhow um I uh, thank you for your time. I appreciate you listening to this. And I hope my voice is not too annoying. Because of the tone, not because of what I say. Um, But I just want to pray here and um, close us out. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for your word and your spirit. Lord, thank you for all the good things that you're doing in our lives. Thank you for always being with us, Lord, in your faithfulness and your comfort and your Holy Spirit when we don't understand. Thank you for the good things we take for granted. Thank you for our daily bread. Lord, thank you for everybody in our lives who are working hard to make our lives better. Lord, thank you for your creation and the abundance of love you've shown in your creation. And Lord, like we we talked about so many things and uh, we talked last time about um, creativity and taste and food. Today we talked about intimacy and Lord, the, the gift of marriage and the gift of sex and the gift of brotherhood and the ability to be a cheerful giver. And Lord, so many things to be thankful for. And Lord, I just pray that you continue to inspire. I pray that even now you would prepare the hearts of whoever's going to hear this. And that I hope, Lord, I just pray that I shared something that would be meaningful to someone somewhere. Thank you for Brennan Manning and the work he did to try and understand your love. 
and to try and articulate it. Lord, I love his books and the legacy he's left behind because I know he's in your presence now. Lord, and thank you for the gift of music and thank you for the ability to enjoy it and um, just that additional aspect of your creative spirit and uh, the expression of joy in that. And Lord, I just I, I praise you for that. Lord, I thank you and I praise you and I'm grateful. And I just ask that you would protect us, keep us safe in this holiday season, in this Christmas season. Guard our coming and our going as we enter Advent week three today in the, the week of joy. I pray that our joy would be in you. And that we'd be focused on you. And as we anticipate the celebration of Christmas and the first Advent, that we would be anxiously looking forward to the second Advent and the coming and the culmination of all things. And that we'd anxiously receive you and not not be in a position where we would shy away in shame, as First John says, but that we would be so excited to see you coming and that we would all be ready. May we all be ready. Father God, may we all be ready. Thank you and we praise you and we're grateful. We ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus who paid it all. Amen.